Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today on our weekly roundtable, as the world grapples with war abroad, we take a look at what consider some consider to be a war at home. Yet, another police killing of a young black man, the double standard on immigration policies at the U.S. border and in Europe. The attack on truth and books, news from south of the border. Also, the election in France. Two candidates will face each other in a runoff election. What do we know about the candidates? Where does the left candidate fare? What are the broader implications for Europe and the United States, given the chasm of left versus liberal versus right? the latest on the war in the Ukraine, and analysis from our panelists. Our panelists for our weekly roundtable are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. Israeli forces raided the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound, a major holy site in occupied East Jerusalem. Israeli forces wounded more than 150 Palestinians and arrested up to 400. This Palestinian photographer reported what he saw. They brutally emptied the compound. They were attacking the employees, normal people, elders, and young people. There were many people injured. They fired rubber bullets inside the Al-Aqsa mosque compound. They were beating everyone, even the paramedics. Israeli authorities say Palestinians threw rocks at police after dawn prayers, igniting the clashes. The clashes in East Jerusalem sparked massive protests in Gaza. Tensions have soared in recent weeks amid a series of deadly attacks in Israel and military raids across the occupied West Bank. Last year, protests and clashes in and around Al-Aqsa helped ignite an 11-day Gaza war. Russia's defense ministry today promised to ramp up the scale of missile attacks on Ukraine's capital, Kyiv, in response to what it claimed were Ukrainian attacks on Russian soil. Powerful explosions were heard overnight in Kyiv. Britain's defense ministry said the loss of Russia's naval flagship will likely force the military to change the way its naval forces operate in the Black Sea. The Moskva sank after being damaged in disputed circumstances. Ukraine says it struck the vessel with missiles. Russia acknowledged a fire on board, but not any attack. Iris Spitzer reports. Russia's defense ministry says its Moskva warship has sunk in the Black Sea while it was being towed to port. The Moskva was the flagship of Russia's Black Sea fleet and has been a key part of the Russian naval assault on Ukrainian forces. Ukraine said it struck the Moskva with missiles, resulting in an explosion, which Russia hasn't confirmed. Earlier, Pentagon spokesperson John Kirby said that there was an explosion aboard the ship. We cannot confirm uh, the Ukrainian reports that it was hit uh, by a missile, but we are also not in a position to refute that, uh, that it could have been uh, a Ukrainian missile uh, which struck the ship. Uh, We just don't have uh, perfect visibility uh, on exactly what happened. We do believe uh, that there was a significant explosion on this cruiser, the Moskva. From Feature Story News in San Francisco, I'm Ira Spitzer. Protests continue in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where a white police officer killed a young black immigrant last week following a traffic stop. The family of Patrick Leoya and their attorney spoke out a day after authorities released video footage of the killing that showed Leoya on the ground, face down, before an officer shot him point blank in the head. Ben Crump is the family attorney. He says the officer failed to de-escalate the situation. When you think about all the things he could have done, to avoid shooting Patrick with the head. This officer failed to follow the basic training. Video shows Leoya stepping away from the officer, a chase. The officer tried to use a stun gun on him. 
A struggle ensued. Ultimately, the officer drew his weapon and shot Leoya in the head. Michigan State Police are investigating the incident. Florida Republican Governor Ron DeSantis has signed a 15-week abortion ban into law. DeSantis called the legislation the most significant protections for life enacted in the state in a generation. We are here today to defend those who can't defend themselves. And in just a minute, I will be signing House Bill 5, uh, which protects uh, the rights uh, of unborn children starting at 15 weeks. This is a, uh, a time where these babies have beating hearts. They can move, they can taste, uh, they can see, they can feel pain, they can suck their thumbs. DeSantis's assertion that fetuses feel pain at 15 weeks is contradicted by a 2005 study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It found the capacity for functional pain perception probably does not exist before 29 or 30 weeks of gestation because the brain and nervous system are not developed before then. The new Florida law takes effect July 1st. It contains exceptions to save the life of the pregnant person, but does not allow for exemptions in cases where pregnancies were caused by rape, incest, or human trafficking. A jury has convicted an Ohio man who claimed he was only following presidential orders from Donald Trump when he stormed the U.S. Capitol. The jury took less than three hours to reject Dustin Thompson's defense. Thompson was the first Capitol riot defendant to mount a defense blaming Trump and members of his inner circle for the insurrection. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. So those were our news headlines. What I would like to do now is to welcome our guests on our weekly uh, roundtable. Um, we're trying out a, a new sound system today. Hopefully we'll resolve some of the issues we've been facing with our phone lines. I would like to welcome Laura Carlson, Director of the Americas Program. She works with Just Associates, an international feminist organization. She's based in Mexico City is a regular contributor to America's Updater, Foreign Policy and Focus, Counterpunch, and several Spanish-language publications. Laura is also a television host and commentator on globalization, the drug war, immigration, and gender issues for various international news outlets. Laura, welcome. Thank you, Margaret. It's great to be here. Oh, I hear you loud and clear. What a relief. <laughs> Okay, I'd like to welcome uh, Jackie Goldberg, governing board member for the Los Angeles School Board, District 5. She is a former member of the California State Assembly. Jackie Goldberg has previously served as a member of the Los Angeles City Council. Before being elected to council, she served on and was later president of the Los Angeles School Board. Jackie Goldberg, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Okay, hear you loud and clear. Very good, Jackie. And Dr. Gerald Horn, Morris Professor of History and African American Studies at the University of Houston. He's written more than 30 books, including the award-winning The Dawning of the Apocalypse, The Roots of Slavery, White Supremacy, Settler Colonialism, and Capitalism in the Long 16th Century. And his most recently published book, The Bittersweet Science, Racism, Racketeering, and the Political Economy of Boxing. Dr. Horn, welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, and I hear you loud and clear. So um, we're going to start off, uh, first of all, not with a war on Ukraine. We'll be talking about that later on the show, getting your thoughts and analysis of the latest news. We're going to uh, start off with what uh, some see as the war at home. I mean, issues of, of race and immigration, as you heard in our news headlines, uh, yet another uh, police killing of a young uh, black man this time in um, Grand Rapids, uh, Michigan, a young man who had fled the Democratic Republic of Congo with his family, fleeing the violence uh, there only to be shot down by the police. 
Uh, so we are going to be hearing a clip uh, related to that on the police ki killing from CBS. And then we're also going to hear a clip. Another hot point connected to race is what some see as a double standard at the border. In this instance, we're going to be uh, focusing on uh, black asylum seekers from Haiti from the continent of Africa. We know now that 100,000 uh, Ukrainians will be welcome to the United States, a good thing. Countries should be taking uh, asylum seekers who are fleeing war. Uh, but what about uh, black asylum seekers who are uh, fleeing wars, uh, poverty, uh, destabilization, and many are uh, crying foul and saying that there is a double standard, including that's on the U.S. side. And then in Europe, you have the U.K. saying that they're going to be sending asylum seekers um, to Rwanda um, <laughs> rather than uh, processing them in the United States. And many are calling foul on that and also a double standard. So let's go to those clips now. First, the CBS clip on the police killing of Patrick Leola. Uh, followed by the clip from the GRIO on black immigration. Another deadly police shooting of an unarmed black man has led to protests and calls for accountability. 26-year-old Patrick Leoya was killed after a traffic stop escalated in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And CBS's Adriana Diaz is there. In Grand Rapids, there is frustration and anger over how a routine traffic stop... Do you have a license? Escalated into a deadly police shooting, claiming the life of 26-year-old Patrick Leoya. Today, attorney Ben Crump, flanked by Leoya's parents and a Congolese interpreter, called for accountability. As his mother and father said, they believe their son was executed. On Wednesday, police released several videos showing the entire confrontation. The officer first approaching the car. No, no, no. Stop, stop. Leoya resists and runs. For two minutes, there's a struggle. The officer fires his taser twice, but misses. The officer's body camera goes off. It's unclear why. But other videos show that while on top of Leoya, the officer takes out his gun and fires one shot to the head. The Leoya family fled from the Democratic Republic of Congo for a safer life here. The one who's supposed to be protecting Patrick's life is the one who has killed Patrick and take Patrick's life away. Grand Rapids police say they will not identify the officer unless he's named as a suspect. City leaders are calling for calm until the Michigan State Police finish their investigation. We will seek transparency. We will seek truth. Justice requires that this matter be handled fairly and efficiently. The officer, who is a seven-year police veteran, is on paid leave during the investigation. And Michigan officers can use deadly force if they fear death or bodily injury. Major, the police chief here, says they released all the videos to be transparent with the public. So we're seeing white people literally leapfrog over black folks, fly into Mexico from, from Ukraine, fly into Cancun, fly into Mexico City, fly into Tijuana, and then get to walk across while black folks who have suffered so much have to watch them and wait, languishing. Black people and people of color generally have always, in the history of this country, been treated worse in the immigration context when it comes to our immigration policy than white people. What we're being able to see right now, unfortunately, is what we've been talking about all along, that immigration is a racial justice issue. It is really unconscionable when you think about the fact that there are tens of thousands of black asylum seekers who have gone through what I call a journey of death, of different types of death, to get to the border between the United States and Mexico, who have been held there, literally held captive, unable to come to the country that they were told reaches out and takes in those who are fleeing danger and who need assistance. I want to hear an explanation from the administration about why there has been and continues to be disparate treatment for Black Haitians 
compared to white Ukrainians. I want to hear that explanation. I don't think that we should have one group over another. That's why we continually are fighting, uh, you know, to make sure that we have immigration reform. That's why we've got to make sure that when you look at the cross of those borders, on the southern border, that they should have the right to be interviewed so that they can have asylum like everyone else. That's why we do need to change the Trump-era uh, immigration rules and laws that were put in place, uh, which we know was discriminatory, in fact. And so we've got a lot of work to do uh, and to make sure that uh, we are treating everybody fairly and equitably. All righty. So uh, what we are going to do actually is uh, reverse our order a bit today. And uh, Dr. Horn, I think we will start with you on on this one. I mean, you know, it it seems as though it never ends, uh, these police killings. And when we look at the police department in Grand Rapids, there have been a lot of issues with them stopping even children um, ranging, you know, 12 and, and 14 to a, a 11-year-old twin boys who was with a family friend um, who was 17 years old, an 11-year-old black girl who was held along with her and handcuffed along with her mother and her aunt at gunpoint, uh, uh, the handcuffing of a 12-year-old black girl at uh, gunpoint, two Latino teens who were just walking down the street um, and had the a gun uh, pulled on them because why? They were walking on the street and not on the sidewalk. I mean, Dr. Horn, there could be incident after incident after incident. And with so much of the new cycle uh, tied up with the war in the Ukraine, you know, this kind of thing, you know, gets short thrift. So I wonder your thoughts on that. And on the one hand, on the other hand, you heard Nana Jumphy from Black, um, from Baji, Black Alliance for Just Immigration and others talking about the double standard at the border. So, Dr. Horn, your thoughts on both of those counts? Well, I would point listeners to a front page article in today's New York Times that speaks directly to the first issue, uh, pointing out that annually about 400 people are killed in the United States as a result of traffic stops that is more than we can stomach. And we all know not only about the case from Grand Rapids, but we know about the case of Philando Castillo from Minnesota, Dante Wright a year ago from Minnesota, Sandra Bland from Texas, the list goes on. Now, what's happening is that a number of cities are mandating to the police that they do not pay attention to irregular license plates or air fresheners hanging improperly from a rearview mirror because inevitably it leads to the death penalty for those who engage in those minor infractions. Now, certainly that is a useful and welcome short-term fix, but in the long-term, obviously we need a deeper analysis and a deeper program in order to address this ongoing bloodshed. Certainly, we need some sort of CRT, critical race theory training for police officers, which would help them hopefully to shed their racist biases by exposing them to the newest trends in the history of the United States, which points to the racist origins of the history of the United States. But unfortunately, as you know more than most, that runs smack dab into the hysteria about critical race theory, smack dab into the hysteria with regard to presenting a pristine image of the origins of the slaveholding republic that was in the United States of America. In fact, for evidence, you need look no further than the Virginia gubernatorial election a few months ago, where the triumphant Republican Glenn Youngkin ran a campaign where Toni Morrison's novel, Beloved, this is the Nobel laureate who wrote a novel about slavery, that that became a campaign issue because supposedly it was giving little Jennifer and little Johnny nightmares in their high school classes. And so that apparently was a winning ticket and the Republicans seemed to feel that running on this issue of parents' rights, which of course bleeds in 
to the don't say gay measure in Florida, which is spreading like a fungus, that kind of legislation across the United States of America. But it's all part of this uh, right wing upsurge uh, in the United States of America. Now, with regard to the second issue, uh, I would also point uh, listeners to an article in the Wall Street Journal this morning, which points out what we've been talking about on Sojourner Truth for a number of weeks, which is the lukewarm approach in the global south to this question of sanctions against Russia. And as the article intimates, this may have something to do with this rather blatant double standard that was just referred to, where Ukrainians are allowed to uh, leapfrog the line and leapfrog to the front and get into the United States of America, uh, whereas, as we know from a few months ago, Haitians are roughhoused and man manhandled on the border of Texas and Mexico. And then the stunt this, this past week of Governor Abbott of Texas uh, putting mostly Central American and, and Caribbean uh, refugees and migrants on a bus and busing them to the Fox News headquarters in Washington, D.C. for a photo op and a news item. What's even more remarkable and perhaps more discouraging is that at least I have not heard the outraged voices emerging from the Congressional Black Caucus, in part because there's so much hysteria about this war in Ukraine that I think many people are afraid to raise any troubling questions about it, even when it bleeds into the question of racist double standards. Right. Thank you, Dr. Horn. And Laura Carlson, uh, your thoughts on, on this next? Of course, you've been following the issue south of the border, um, uh, at the border, the U.S. border for a very long time, the, the caravans, uh, you know, that have been coming in. And uh, we certainly know that it's, it, it is brown immigrants as well as, as black immigrants that are getting uh, the short thrift at the border. But we don't hear a lot about what's happening with uh, black immigrants at the border. And, uh, you know, this idea of the war at home, that, that, you know, police killing after police killing after police killing of young black people, young brown people as well. I mean, to me, it smacks of kind of a modern day lynching, uh, never mind that anti-lynching bill uh, was passed. But there's something uh, deep going on in law enforcement across these United States. And I wondered if you wanted to comment on uh, on that, the latest victim, this uh, Patrick uh, Leola, himself an immigrant, and also what's happening at the border, Laura Carlson. Yeah, thanks, Margaret. It, it's really heartbreaking, and it's also outrageous to see the news of this latest killing in particular, on top of so many other killings, and also after a movement that just seemed to be pushing uh, a new way of seeing things, you know, that seemed to be making progress, and yet it seems the United States ever got out of, which it didn't obviously, you know, is back into these same cycles of not only the violence against people of color, but the violence with complete impunity. What struck me about it, in addition to what Dr. Horn was saying, is that uh, he is, is that he is free unless he's named as a suspect. In what other kind of case would you see somebody on film shooting someone, an unarmed person in the back of the head, who is allowed to walk the straight streets because they haven't been named as a suspect yet? And not only that, he's on paid leave. You know, and then they say that they're out of the magnanimousness of their hearts. They're releasing these videos. The videos weren't even theirs to release. Other people had to take those videos because from what we know about it, it appears that the officer illegally turned off his video camera. You know, so there's just these outrageous aspects to these cases, and, and, and I think the family, from everything we know about it, is right to call it an execution. And again, it's heartbreaking to know what they fled from and what the outcome was of their seeking freedom and safety in what is supposedly, you know, the beacon of the free world. On the immigration issue, there, it was mentioned that the issue here is racial justice. 
And it's clear that the issue is racial justice. And there's another issue that's important to take into account. And that's a geopolitical issue. Whose war was this? If it's a war that was caused by a Russian invasion, then the United States opens its doors. If it's a war that was caused by the United States, then they don't want to even admit that it exists. And much of the violence, which in many ways can be called wars because of the levels of violence and because of, of the military equipment that's used, whether it's the, um, you know, the drug war or the other kinds of, of uh, violences that we see in the global South, you know, the, there's a very strong component of U.S. responsibility for these. So they have always been unwilling to call the people who flee this kind of violence refugees because it reflects badly on their own responsibility. Right now, we have 4 million people who have fled from Ukraine. Um, on March 24th, Biden said he'll welcome 100,000 of them. He raised the cap on refugees from Trump's low of 15,000 to more than 62,000 last year, but then only admitted 11,411. So what we're seeing here, too, is this huge gap between the rhetoric of welcoming people and trying to, trying to mark a change from the anti-immigrant Trump administration, and yet many of the policies and the actual results of those policies are quite the same. Now he says that they can supposedly admit 125,000, but so far this year only um, just less than 9,000 have been admitted. So it's not going to happen. And it's not as sad truth as Biden says that the U.S. can't admit these refugees. It is not difficult. It has been done frequently in the past. The ability of the economy, the ability of the society, and the systems in place to do that can function perfectly well. It's just that the Democrats have continued with this idea that immigrants are a security threat. They have continued this idea with this idea that um, immigrant and refugee flows have to be have to be controlled. They bought into the Republican line so far that we don't have an alternative narrative and we certainly don't have an alternative system. In Mexico, there's been a lot of news about the resentments of seeing white-skinned Europeans cross the border when uh, black and brown-skinned people have been waiting for months. And they've been waiting for months in terrible conditions. These are border cities where large regions are controlled by organized crime. They're prey to organized crime every day and to assaults. There's a number of studies regarding this, and yet nothing opens up to them. Title 42, which is the health excuse for, uh, for not admitting them, is supposedly going to be lifted in May, but they're talking about an extension of the Remain in Mexico program, which would send them all back to Mexico anyway. So yes, the double standard is on view every day at the border. It's on view internationally, and yet we're seeing uh, surprisingly little indignation and action regarding that. Thank you, Laura Carlson. And Jackie Goldberg, in addition to the shooting, what's happening at the U.S. border, um, <clears throat> there was a BBC clip I didn't uh, get a chance to play uh, about the U.K. saying we're going to send asylum seekers <clears throat> to Rwanda. Now, we know the United States has this stay in Mexico uh, policy, right? Um, so I guess the UK version of that is send them off to Rwanda, which many people uh, just consider to be uh, outrageous. And many people coming to the uh, UK, by the way, are uh, from former colonies or people from Afghanistan, uh, Syria, who are fleeing war and, and fleeing uh, tremendous violence as well. But Jackie Goldberg, all of this is also within the context of what Dr. Horn referred to, to also, the banning of books, um, you know, the, the whole, uh, you know, you, it's hard to find the truth anymore about what is really going on. There's so much propaganda, let's say, with the Ukraine on both sides, the U.S. propaganda, propaganda coming from the other side, but just generally in the United States um, with what is happening um, with the attack uh, of critical race theory, the banning of books, et cetera, you see really an attack 
on the truth. And one of the things that makes me think of none of us thought or who thought we would be living through 1984 right now. So Jackie Goldberg, your thoughts on, on all of this. Well, let's start with the last, which is the banning of books. In uh, 2021, 1,586 books have been banned for schools in the last nine months. The targeted uh, 1,145 different books so that more than 800 authors and a plurality of books, 41% featured prominent characters who are people of color. 41% of the banned books, I want to say that twice, featured prominent characters, people of color. 33% of the banned books included LGBTQ themes. And uh, uh, about 22% directly addressed issues of race and racism. So this is a, 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 there've always been book banning in schools. This is not a new thing, but the amount of it and the degree of it and the focus of it is really quite different. And let me give you an example. This is the highest number recorded since Penn, this is a group that publishes about book li library books, has been doing it. So, for example, in 2020, uh, 273 books were banned. And in 1919, 2019, 377. But most of the titles that were uh, knocked out, that large number targeted, were written by or about black individuals or LGBTQ authors. So this is a design to try to keep uh, American young people away from understanding what's happening in the country, what's happening in the world, what's happening in race, what's happening to LGBTQ, while there's a major attack on all of the LGBTQ, particularly trans folks. And it's the same people uh, over and over again that are doing it. It's, uh, however, I will tell you that we have been winning some of the um, uh, board, school board elections that have been coming on. Uh, we've lost some, but we've won some around the country. Now, in terms of the uh, 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 attack on African-Americans uh, by police, which continues and continues, I think one of the parts of the story that we're not talking enough about is the state legislature uh, uh, of, of Michigan. Because the state legislature of Michigan, after the George Floyd, introduced a very large number of uh, reforms for police. However, in spite of that, not a single one of those bills that has been introduced has actually passed out of a committee or even been heard. Why is that? That's because Republicans control the Michigan uh, legislature. And they have simply been unwilling to have any of these measures come to a vote. The measures included getting rid of chokeholds and no-knock warrants. The measures included an independent investigation, independent of the police departments, an independent investigation uh, of police activity when uh, any activity results in death uh, uh, by an officer. All of those things have uh, not gone into effect and have not even been voted on. And so what we're having is around the country is where you have a Republican group that represents the majority in legislatures, any attempts to actually change the outcome uh, of policing by changing the rules, by changing the standards, by changing who gets to investigate. All of those things are being held up in multiple states where multiple of these killings are occurring. And what's happening is, is that they just ignoring that they're there. The bills are just not even being set uh, for a committee to hear them. So I think we have a bigger problem as you talk about it uh, than simply just the notion that uh, there's bad actors. There's bad actors and legislators who have went at the early stages of this seemed to sound like they were going to do something. None of those states seem to be willing to take any action. It's all tied up in the legislature. Finally, to just talk for a minute about the double standard, I think that that, that double standard is not new. It is uh, well known, but I think it's becoming more obvious to people uh, because of the Ukrainian incident is going so rapidly. Uh, you know, that that uh, 100,000 folks uh, began to be uh, already done. 
But I, I like the quote from Luis Zaldivar, uh, who's the Georgia State D Director for CASA, which is an immigrant advocacy group. He said, well, we've seen what, what we've seen here is, is that they've always been able to do it quickly when they want to. And, and I think that's really the point. We've always been able to take care of displaced people and people who are fleeing wars and violence when we want to. We just don't want to. Uh, because as long as we're, uh, uh, you know, not interested in people of color coming to this country as a policy, nothing's going to change. Nothing is going to change. And I think the outpouring of support across the globe for Ukrainians sets an example for how we could deal with the refugee crisis. And instead, we're saying that they're getting exemptions from policies to be allowed in, whereas nobody else seems to be allowed to in by those exemptions. So I think I think all of the things that we're talking about today relate to race, relate to the prejudice and bias within our own country and our own legislators, but around the world in nations dominated by European whites, that really there are only some people who are welcome in times of crisis. Right. Um, thank you for that. Um, all of our panelists there, Jackie, underscoring your last point for sure. We are going to take a short station break now. And then we come up, uh, come back. We'll be talking about the French elections. Why? Because they have wide implications, not only for Europe, the war in Ukraine, but also in the United States. And of course, we'll be uh, hearing your thoughts on the latest news on the Ukraine. Stay with us. You don't want to go May our panelists will be right back. Hey, Miss Collins, ain't it hard? See young Lewis in that old graveyard. The angels laid him away. Miss Collins, we, Miss Collins, moan. What? made her son Lewis leave his home the angels laid him away and that is the angels laid him away one of my favorite artists uh Rhiannon Gittins there and I wanted to play that song also thinking of Patrick uh Leola uh fleeing violence in the Congo only to be killed by a white police officer in the United States. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter, at So True Radio. And we're also heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Houston, Texas. SoundCloud listeners in Houston, uh, Texas. And internationally, a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in Pakistan. Yes, we do have Sojourner Truth followers in Pakistan. It is our weekly roundtable. And our panelists are Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, Dr. Gerald Horn. And we're now going to turn our attention uh, to uh, what really is a geopolitical issue. I mean, it is uh, the elections happening in France. The far right and moderate right are leading in a bid uh, for the presidency in France, French President Emmanuel Macron and far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. They're facing a runoff on April 24th. Macron didn't pull it out. He wasn't able to get a victory outright, so there is um, a runoff. Now, incumbent uh, um, Emmanuel Macron, he won over 27 percent of the vote. Uh, Marine Le Pen placed second at 23 percent of the vote. But big news is, is that left candidate uh, Jean-Luc Mélenchon and his party placed third with 22 percent of the vote. I mean, a one percentage vote between um, uh, Marine uh, Le Pen and uh, Mélenchon. And so just Putting this in some context here, I mean, Macron, when the campaign first started, was pretty confident. He was really trying to position himself as a leader of Europe, in a way replacing um, 
uh, um, Angela Merkel of Germany, who had that role. She has now been uh, replaced by Schultz as um, in, in Germany. But Macron was really, you know, he was meeting with Putin. He was trying to negotiate uh, for the war in Ukraine not to start. I mean, he was really trying to establish himself as a world leader in that way. Um, and so a lot of people really didn't expect that he wouldn't win overwhelmingly. On the other hand, you've got this um, Marine Le Pen, who fundamentally is just a racist. I mean, old-fashioned racist, some say fascist, um, you know, like her, her father, you know, before her. And what she did is she really, um, what in the United States we would say, took off her white sheets and, you know, put on a very nice dress, you know, to look like just a very, you know, regular um, person there. But meanwhile, her policies still reflect um, that kind of racist, anti-immigrant, uh, anti-Muslim um, background. But she also came out against NATO. And we all know that NATO has, uh, and, and whether or not Ukraine should join NATO was a big thing in, in the, the war now um, between the Ukraine and Russia. But uh, if you look at Jean-Luc Mélenchon, uh, just before we hear your thoughts, and um, Gerald, uh, let's see, I, I think we'll start uh, with you here again. Um, Mélenchon, he was going for things like a price freeze of essential goods, a pension at 60 years old, a 32-hour work week, increasing the minimum uh, wage and disability ben benefits, wage increases for uh, carers of elders at home, um, welcoming asylums. Um, he was into organic agriculture, closing family farming, replacing nuclear power. I mean, he had a pretty, what some would see as a pretty uh, radical um, platform. And he was also opposed. He was opposed to the invasion of Ukraine, but he also wants France to pull out of NATO. So does Marine Le Pen. So this is an interesting um development here, um, Dr. Horn, looking at the politics of liberal politics represented by Macron, right-wing politics by Marine Le Pen, and uh, left-leaning uh, politics by Mélenchon. Uh, Dr. Horn, your thoughts? Well, first of all, with regard to um, Mr. Mélenchon, he did incredibly well uh, in this election, considering this historic campaign that has been led by the so-called North Atlantic allies led by the United States, seeking to undermine the left, the Socialist Party, which of course was in power before Mr. Macron came into power, and of course the Communist Party as well. And I think that what Mr. Mélenchon is taking advantage of, and what Marine Le Pen also is taking advantage of, is the fact that there is pervasive and deep-seated antagonism towards U.S. imperialism in France that helped to drive the move by former and late French leader Charles de Gaulle to remove France from the military wing of NATO, which Marine Le Pen uh, seeks to emulate, because of course, after he passed, uh, France re-entered uh, NATO. But I also think there's another point that's reflected in a column in today's New York Times by Paul Krugman, where he poses the question of why the national rally, the party of Madame Le Pen, is to the left of its alleged comrades in the United States, speaking of the GOP. That is to say that the national rally is even to the left of Macron with regard to social welfare benefits and pocketbook issues uh, devoted to the uh, French working class. Now, of course, as you suggested, uh, the party has deep uh, Islamophobic and uh, anti-Semitic roots. However, I don't think that Mr. Krugman really answers the question of why this difference between the Trumpian forces on this side of the Atlantic and their comrades in France. I think it has a lot to do with the fact, once again, that's usually eluded and elided in U.S. discourse, that the United States is a settler colonial society built upon class collaboration between the richer Europeans and the poorer Europeans who crossed the Atlantic to take the land from the Native Americans. And that class collaboration as ethos continues uh, to the point 
where uh, social welfare benefits uh, not only are neglected, but are being uh, rapidly slashed and will probably be slashed further if, as predicted, the GOP has a comeback and takes the House and the Senate. Um, Madame Le Pen also, I think, reflects something else in French politics, which is that right now, with regard to both the European Union and NATO, and of course, the European Union increasingly is seen as the economic department of NATO, NATO being led by the United States, is that what's driving the war in Ukraine is this de facto alliance between the United States, which, of course, is outside of the European Union, and Poland and the Baltic republics, and you see quite a bit of nervousness and reluctance in the German ruling class. You see it reflected in the vote from Madame Le Pen, who, of course, has talked about not only pulling France out of NATO, but effectuating a rapprochement with Russia. And so I think that it's also fair to say that uh, you'll probably see as an outgrowth of this war in Ukraine a further splits and fissures in the European Union. You see that in Madame Le Pen's platform where she's taking shots at Germany, taking shots at Chancellor Merkel uh, individually, even though the French-German axis has been the locomotive of the European Union. And you see another outgrowth of these fissures as well, because the Western European nations are trying to reorient themselves away from Russian energy. That drives them to try to get energy from Algeria. Algeria is playing hardball with regard to that. And that now has Spain and Italy at each other's throats as they compete for the affections of Algeria. So there are a number of unintended consequences, it seems to me, of the rise of NATO and this NATO adventure in Ukraine and in Russia. Right, thank you, Dr. Horn. And um, Jackie Goldberg, just your thoughts on this, because there's some weird realignments uh, going on here, being given uh, what um, Dr. Horn just said. But also, you know, looking at this election in, in France, I mean, looking at Mélenchon, some people compare him, compare him, for example, with a Bernie Sanders, right? And uh, Bernie, of course, never got the chance, you know, to run for the presidency. But to, to have the left-leaning candidate uh, come in practically second. I mean, one percentage point behind the 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 person who has a reputation for being a a, a racist, anti-Semitic, anti-Muslim, etc. Interesting here in terms of what that says about what is happening in politics in Europe, but also uh, right here in the United States. Jackie Goldberg. Well, you know, uh, the interesting thing to me is this new alliance between Jews and Muslims uh, against Le Pen, uh, because uh, she promised that she would get rid of the uh, traditional religious ability to do carving of kosher foods and, and foods that are uh, allowed in Muslim uh, eating habits. So uh, the, the, the desire to, uh, to stop... <clears throat> Uh, this has led to a, a first-time relationship between Jews and Muslims uh, in a political way. They've done it in other ways, but in political ways, and are beginning to organize uh, to, to support uh, anybody but Le Pen, if it was their last statement. Uh, because it's unacceptable to observant Jews and Muslims, and this is now Passover and Ramadan, uh, it's unacceptable for them to have meats that are not cut and 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 uh, and slaughtered humanely under both religious groups. So th I think it's an interesting. It, it's very interesting to have uh, these kinds of formations happening in France. I do do think though that the important thing to remember is is that all of the uh, groups are talking about, except for uh, uh, Macron, are talking about improving the life of people in France. And I think that's where he has been hurt dramatically. I think his ability to think of himself as an international leader uh, took him away from the real questions of pensions, of work week, of changes that have been happening in France that have changed dramatically the ability of the working class there to live pretty good lives. And I think that is a major, major problem unless he begins to take on those issues in a stronger way. Uh, I also do think, though, that 
that uh, having uh, Muslims and Jews organizing together for the first time on issues of politics uh, may change some political dimensions in France even after this election. Right, it may have rollover in other countries as well. Yeah, good point uh, there, Jackie. And um, Laura Carlson, you know, hoping that you will also use this uh, occasion, you might want to comment briefly on the French elections, but we really would like to hear from you also about some of the happenings uh, south of the border. Uh, Laura Carlson. And, and of course, the two issues are related on the French elections. It's interesting to note that in addition to Mélenchon's really very strong showing, he's been a perpetual candidate in these, in these elections. Um, some of the polls now that are throwing this into doubt because the, the rational idea would be that Mélenchon's followers would go with Macron are showing that 27% of his followers are planning to vote for Le Pen. And oh my God! A very high, very high uh, likely abstention rate, and so we're seeing this Trump phenomenon. It was it was calculated that of Bernie support, supporters, some twelve uh, percent went straight to um, and went straight to Trump in the twenty sixteen election, and probably more. Though we don't, I don't have the figure in twenty twenty. You know, so we're seeing this phenomenon that has to do with the fact that people want major changes. They just really don't know. The ideological part is not as strong to them. There are some people, of course, who are very strongly on board with the anti-immigrant white nationalist message that it's the, is at the core of Le Pen's party, but many are just looking for changes. And of course, uh, Macron's progressive image has been seriously tar tarnished over his years of ruling the repression of worker strikes and this uh, inability or disinterest in, in improving the lives of, of the majority of people within the country. I think that's hurt him quite a bit. And meanwhile, Le Pen has made a major effort to kind of soften the image of her father was the president of the party from 72 to 2011, and now she's been the president since then until uh, 2021, and she's tried to soften the image, but everyone still knows what it stands for. She presents herself as a feminist, but has come out clearly against parody as uh, something that erodes meritocracy and has come out clearly against uh, many other issues that are important that are important to women. So we have all these factors weighing in to make for an interesting second round in the elections that uh, do uh, do tell us a lot about what's happening within the world at large. In the south of the border, that same disillusionment with the way things are, which is to say the results of the neoliberal global system is being expressed also in these wildly varying um, results of elections in Costa Rica, where there's a big problem with unemployment and the deficit, the far right candidate wins, despite the fact of plausible and uninvestigated, thanks to the World Bank, accusations of sexual harassment, which just makes women feel totally frustrated. Another Kavanaugh situation there in some ways, but even worse because he's now president. In Peru, the progressive um, you know, rural pre peasant president barely survived an impeachment attempt. He's gone through four cabinets. There's a 76% disapproval rating. You know, there, there's also a, a problem of an inability to, to govern going on and the right coming back hard to pressure and to push. In Colombia, the leftist is, is slated to win, but there's a huge, in the second round on May 29th, but there's a huge fear of a backlash, a violent reaction from the right wing that's been uh, militarily supported by the United States for years since Plan Colombia, especially, and that we could see a lot of acts of violence before then. So we're being very, very careful to watch that. And then just finally, in a word, of course, what's happening in the Ukraine and what's happening as a result of the COVID buildup in terms of a food crisis is already being felt with the inflation and the food scarcities and lack of access in the rural South. So there's a factor of instability and a major impact on the lives of the sectors that are most vulnerable 
within the continent as well that's going to, or within the global south in, in general, that's going to have expressions that will be seen in the next months. Right. Thank you. And we just have a few minutes left. So uh, the Ukraine is getting a bit of short thrift, but we've been focusing on the Ukraine uh, quite a bit. Um, Jackie Goldberg, we'll start with you for just a a brief uh, comment on where things are much being made now of the the sinking of the flagship um, Russian flagship uh, that happened yesterday. Just a a quick thought. And then Dr. Horn, we'll get a a quick thought from you as well. So I would just I would just say briefly that uh, that there has been now a uh, Russian attack on a plant near Kiev, uh, which they claim is in response to terrorism and sabotage by uh, the Romanian by the uh, pardon me, the Ukrainians uh, against uh, Russia. So they say uh, that after having first said that 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 was not a a uh, missile that from Ukraine that uh, took out their uh, Moskva ship, uh, they now say that this retaliate is retaliation for that. So I don't know how they can have it both ways. In any case, uh, what is uh, be happening now is is that of course they're going in and trying to seal off uh, the. Um, uh, eastern part, they have lost, I think, uh, a tremendous advantage in uh, uh, the Black Sea by losing the uh, Moscow uh, ship uh, named for Moscow, the capital. And uh, I do think that they are in some difficulty in figuring out what next to do because uh, the additional weapons supplied by the West and the United States uh, means that it is not guaranteed that they will win the East, even though that is where they are focused. Uh, but I think that this interesting uh, response of saying that they're going to uh, attack uh, uh, Ukraine and, and particularly Kiev when there are attacks on Russian soil by uh, the uh, Ukrainians reflects uh, some of their nervousness, I think, of what's happening uh, after this sinking of the ship. Yes. And Dr. Horn, your thoughts here, because a lot is being made of the sinking of the ship. Uh the fact that Russia now controls, even some on the Ukraine are saying so, now con- controls uh, Mariupol. And in fact, I think there are about six major areas, five or six major areas under uh, Russian control. That is getting uh, played down a bit. And the Russian news agency, we of course know, for, like the US, Russia, there's propaganda on both sides. They're reporting that there was a shelling of um, a settlement in Russia uh, early Thursday by Ukrainian armed forces. So, Dr. Hort, it's really hard to get a grasp of what the heck is going on, uh, really, you know, given all of what's flying on both sides. Uh, just a quick final thought from you. Um, Laura Carlson, I'm afraid we're likely going to have to wrap it up with Dr. Horn. Dr. Horn, your thoughts here. Well, it is certainly difficult to get a read of what's going on on the battlefield because of what you suggested. But what's taking place beyond the battlefield, I think, is evident. And that was reflected with the speech by Secretary of Treasury Janet Yellen Yellen, uh, of the United States, who warned unnamed nations, but obviously meaning China, that if they did not endorse primary sanctions against Russia, they would be subjected to secondary sanctions. She was following up on a similar comment by the Secretary General of NATO, Mr. Stoltenberg. And so this conflict is spreading like an oil spill uh, with consequences that are too ghastly to contemplate. We also know about the allegations made in Islamabad, Pakistan by the sacked Prime Minister Imran Khan, who claims that Washington was behind a conspiracy with his opposition to oust him from office because they were upset with his cozying up to Moscow. Of course, Pakistan has had a long time, long term relationship uh, with China. The question is, will that sort of presumed regime change now spread throughout the global south, uh, meaning uh, more busyness by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency? And then tying into the French elections, you saw Mr. Macron distance himself from Mr. Biden's comment that uh, Russia was involved in genocide. Uh, in Ukraine, I think it's because genocide is not just a colloquial phrase. It 
has international legal implications. That is to say, if there is a genocide taking place, presumably that would authorize nations like the United States to get involved more in Ukraine than they are presently involved. Apparently, because of this spreading anti-war sentiment in France, as represented by the surge of Madame Le Pen, Mr. Macron thought the better part of wisdom to distance himself from uh, from that particular comment. And in any case, uh, the demand of the peace movement for de-escalation and negotiation is not being adhered to, and I think that that is a tragedy indeed. We got it, Dr. Horn, and it does seem to me as though things are escalating, and it's also becoming a bit of a quagmire. If you look at the $800 million military aid package of the Ukraine, some of those weapons were weapons the U.S. didn't give before because they knew that it would escalate uh, the situation, and who knows what really happened with that ship and going on in Mariupol, et cetera. So thank you so much, Dr. Horn, uh, Laura Carlson, Jackie Goldberg, another fascinating uh, roundtable. But we are out of time. Uh, we would like to uh, thank our engineer for, t- for today. That is Wendell. Our engineer today, Alicia Vargas, our assistant producer. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! Sojourner Truth. We'll be back on the air on Tuesday. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott, and I hope you get to do something really nice this weekend and that you stay well and safe. Donna. Listen what I say Your granny always told me You feel that way sometimes